Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Very good. All right. I was, we were singing that first song, I Must Tell Jesus, and I'm reminded of Psalm chapter 40. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me, and he heard my cry. He heard my cry. And I thought this week, you know, it's pretty amazing that we have a creator that listens to his creation. That's pretty amazing. That's, that's a little bit mind-boggling. But uh, he does, and he tells us to come to him daily, moment by moment. In fact, he tells us not to stop coming to him. That's pretty awesome. We, we sometimes tell our kids, no more, right? No more. Not another question, right? Are you with me on that? God doesn't do that to us. He doesn't say no more. Uh, praise the Lord for that. Let's find ourselves in Luke chapter number 23 tonight. And I find it uh, interesting how the Lord has uh, laid this out for us. And we are here at the, uh, the prayer, the next prayer in the life of Jesus. And that is on the cross. And right before he uh, dies and yields up the ghost. And so how appropriate on this Wednesday night. Uh, that we would just take time to consider uh, the last moments of Jesus on the cross, which are very applicable to our life. And uh, if Jesus was in the grave three days and three nights, uh, he would need to be on the cross today. And so I've done some, uh, uh, some preaching or teaching on that, but uh, we do believe the Bible, what it says. And as, uh, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, uh, so the, shall the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth three days and three nights. And so you even notice how subtle in our culture uh, you start to erode and question the Word of God. And uh, so we have the idea of Good Friday, which would cause some significant questions to come up against, uh, against the Word of God. Is the Word of God accurate or is it not? And sometimes it takes some study to just get to the bottom of that. That's not the point of um, tonight. I've done that in the past. Uh, and uh, even, I believe, if you're following the Easter journey that we published, I believe I included that in the videos that I did back in 2020. And there is a, uh, a link on our YouTube page, the Easter journey, and it, it touches on each day of the Easter Passion Week. And so I believe that's uh, in one of the days on the Wednesday, I believe it is. All right, so we're at Luke chapter number 23. I'm glad you're here tonight. I hope you are. And uh, God's good to us, isn't he? It's good to be able to just gather together and I, I know we all come in with different burdens and, and uh, worn out from work and middle of the week, and uh, you feel it. I trust the Lord will energize you in your heart and give you something that would just be a blessing to you. Luke 23 and verse number 44. Let's look there. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And having thus said, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion 
saw what was done, he glorified God. Does that strike you at all? He glorified God. And the centurion, probably not a, uh, the most uh, church-going individual, a Roman centurion. He glorified God. What did he say? Certainly, this man was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and returned. So the idea, they just, just in anguish, beat upon their chests. Verse number 49, And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things. Father, would you guide us tonight and help this time to be effective for your people? We are the sheep of your pasture. You know the burdens, the afflictions, the, the, the bugs, uh, so to speak, uh, that just kind of nag at us. And now, Lord, we ask that you would turn our direction to you because we know that you are the answer. You have the solution to everything, everything that uh, would afflict us. And so I pray that you'd help us just to turn to you in this moment. Lord, I also pray that you'd help us to see you high and lifted up on the cross um, as, as what you did for us there at Calvary as exceptionally uh, loving. Uh, Lord, love beyond degree. And so we pray that you would just warm our hearts with your love for us and help us to respond to that love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was studying this, the verse kept coming to mind, Psalm 139 and verse number 6. It says, such wisdom or such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. You know, when I look at the cross and begin to think about what Jesus did for you and me at the cross, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Uh, it, it's awe-inspiring. It's beyond my reach. Uh, to, to look at the, uh, the cross and really to capture uh, the depth of love of our Savior uh, that, that is displayed there. And yet, uh, it does us well to read these passages, and even as I read last Wednesday night, to read those accounts of, when, uh, of even what a doctor uh, sees as Jesus gave his life there at the cross for you and me. And here on this Wednesday, when Jesus was put on the cross somewhere around noon and spent hours on the cross and was taken down before, before sunset and laid in a, in a tomb, uh, what an amazing, amazing Savior that we have. Now, there's great interest in the final words of a, of a, uh, a person, whether that be a, a loved one, uh, whether that be a famous person. There's great interest in the final words or the final moments of a person. What they say in those final moments often are very reflective of what is truly important to them. So we see Jesus in his final moments here at the cross, and the things that he says are very, very, very important. And uh, it's very applicable to our life. Uh, we've been looking at these prayers of Jesus and saying, you know, Lord, how would you want us to pray? Well, Jesus prayed at his death. Think about that. Jesus prayed at his death, and he didn't just pray once. He, he, it, it, he was, he's praying throughout his crucifixion, talking to his father. And here his very last words are him praying to his father. And so we're going to observe these final moments of our Savior's life, but especially take notice of his prayer. I want you to notice in these last moments, there's some interesting things that happen in our verse here, in verse number 44. Notice that there's darkness that comes upon the face of the earth. There's darkness that comes. And I want us to think about that. 
It's amazing even how the, the Bible lays this out. And darkness just spread. Now God just shut out the lights in the world as Jesus was bearing the sins. And that's exactly what this is all about. Jesus, during these three hours of darkness, from the sixth hour to the ninth, he was bearing the darkness, all the, the wickedness of your sin and of mine. I wasn't born yet, but he was bearing my sin there at the cross. He, he was bearing the, the sins of all those that, that um, proceeded before him and all those that would come after him. He was bearing all the sins of all mankind upon his shoulders during those, those hours of darkness. Now, remember this. It says the sixth hour. Now, the Jewish day started at 6 a.m. and went to 6 a.m., so it's not like our day that starts at midnight. So the day changes at 6 a.m. So the sixth hour would have been 12 noon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And right at the middle of the day, it goes dark. Now you talk, that's a miracle. And there are some that say that was a time during the Passover week, Jesus being the Passover lamb. There's some that say that that was the time of the full moon. So I'm just saying, regardless, this is a miracle of God to shut out the lights in the world. It was an act of God to shut out the lights as all his wrath was poured out upon his son. Now think about this. Jesus was there. His acquaintances were afar off. His father had turned his back, as it were, upon him. He even asked this question. He prayed to his father, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Uh, Psalm 22 prophesied that he would pray that. And, and, and so he is in this position of, of darkness. His friends have left him. His father has, uh, uh, has forsaken him because he could not look at the sin that he cannot behold sin. He is so holy. And you talk about the, you talk about the, uh, the suffering that Jesus was going through in just those ways, bar the physical suffering, but in those ways, the loneliness, the darkness of that hour that Jesus was going through for you and for me. All the wrath of holy God against sinful man was poured out upon holy God. It was poured out on holy God so that sinful man could be made holy. You say, how does that work? 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, in Christ. So God miraculously turns out the light while this great transaction is happening, while this provision is being made, while his son is taking all the sin of all mankind upon his shoulders and literally taking our hell for us taking our, our penalty for us, taking our death at the cross for us. It was as one man quoted, it was as, uh, as a God-sent darkness that shrouded the cross as the Son of God was made sin for us. It was as though all nature was sympathizing with the Creator as He suffered and died. Isn't that interesting to note that before the Passover, before the first Passover, there was three days of darkness in Egypt. And here there's three hours of darkness. When Jesus was on the cross, those three hours preceded the death of the Lamb of God that was going to take away the sins of all the world. God did that. During his 33 year, uh, years on earth, he lived a perfect life. He never knew sin. As one man said, he never told a lie and never an evil thought. But all of a sudden, all the filth and the dirt from your life and my life descended upon him 
And none of us will ever understand the great mystery of that moment. All of it on his shoulders. I've been noticing a buzzword that's been running around. Maybe you've heard people talk about it. But this idea of overpopulation. And again, it comes from a humanistic mindset that the world centers around us. That creation centers around us. No, creation centers around God. And that's where, that's why you have the divide in, in, in even the perspective of global warming and all these things because it is man thinking that everything centers around him and he can affect against this universe that God has created. Not saying we shouldn't be good stewards of our universe, of our world, of your property, and so on. But this matter of overpopulation, you know what? They might talk about that, but Jesus died for every single person that's ever lived. He went to the cross and he died for every single one. The world is not overpopulated to Jesus. He died for every single one of them. And that just, that just is, is such a wonderful thing to think about that our Savior, that his, his blood, his death, his sacrifice is not limited to a certain number of people. It's there for everyone and everyone that will come to him uh, can have that, that, that forgiveness of sin. So what amazing love. What amazing love. Think about that, those hours of darkness that Jesus went through for you and me. On this day, he did that for us. But there's another interesting thing here. Did you notice in verse number, verse number 45? And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. What does that have to do with anything? Now, some of you are ahead of me on that, and maybe some of you this is new, and so that's why we're going to talk about it. But it does well for us just to, to revel in the fact of all that was going on there at the cross. So Jesus is, is giving up his life here. And the Bible says that the veil of the temple rent. As he said it is finished, we'll get to that in a moment. As he said it is finished, the, the, um, the veil was torn. And I want us to realize what was going on there, the significance of that was that God, through Jesus Christ's sacrifice, the way to God, the way into the presence of God, was now opened. Jesus did that for us. So when this isn't on just for the, the Jewish and something for them to, to revel in, Jesus did that for all mankind. It was a, it was a, a symbol. It was, a, a, it was something a, a picture of what God had done there at the cross through the death of Jesus Christ. So the veil of the temple uh, rent, Mark 15, 38, says the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. From the top to the bottom. Now we're talking, this was a, this was a major curtain that was in the temple. Uh, this, was not, this was not like the curtains you put up in your, your living room. This was a major dividing curtain that was put up in, in, that, uh, in that temple. And so this is now Herod's temple. Would you give me the, the picture of Herod's temple? And let's just look at this for a moment. Uh, so Herod's temple is much larger than Solomon's temple. And, uh, and I don't have a, a comparison chart for you, but you can see the floor plan up there in the corner and even compared to a, an American uh, football field. So Herod's Temple, that, that complex compared to a football field up there. So you can kind of get a size comparison. But inside of here, if you can see these, these numbers, you see you have number one, uh, the priest uh, storage rooms, that's on the outside. But number two, you have the holiest of holies. The holiest of holies, that's that back section of the temple. And right in front of there, number three, you have a veil that would have, that would have 
separated the holy place from the holiest of holies. And so the priest would do their work inside the holy place, and it was, to be, it was holy to God. It was set apart to God. But no one was to enter into the holy, holiest of holies except the high priest one time a year after he sacrificed a bullock for his own sins and for his family's sins and was thoroughly right with God. And then he could enter in. And there's much to write, you know, spoken about how he entered in. There was great sobriety when he would enter in. But when he entered in, he was bringing the blood from the sacrifice, atoning for the people. And this was the Day of Atonement, one of the highest days uh, in, the, in the Jewish calendar, the Jewish feast calendar. It was the Sabbath of Sabbaths. It was the highest day. And he was going to take the blood from the, 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 the sacrifice. They had two goats. One was sent off as a scapegoat into the wilderness, taking the sins away. What a beautiful picture of that that is, taking the sins away. The other was sacrificed. The blood was taken into the holiest of holies by a priest that had been freshly uh, made right with God from his own sacrifice. He goes in there and he sprinkles the blood on the mercy seat. Uh, the, you remember the Ark of the Covenant, the cherubims and so on. Sprinkling the blood on the mercy seat and on that day, the blood of that sacrifice would cover, would cover, would cover the sins of the people. Different than the blood that Jesus would shed that would take away, wash away the sins. But one day out of the year, the priest would go into the holies of holies. And with great sobriety, he would go in, even with bells on his hem, the hem of his garment, even perhaps with a, a rope tied to his, to his ankle in case he was not right with God and they might pull him out. There, there was great sobriety about facing a holy God. So what, I'm, what I want us to catch here tonight, when, when Jesus said it is finished in John 19 and verse number 30, and the veil rent from top to bottom, do understand that God said, hey, now it's, you, you can come here. Any person can come in here. By the way, as Baptists, we believe in the priesthood of the believer. It is not a priest that continues to go into that place for us. We can, as as individuals, as individual believers who have accepted Jesus Christ, go boldly into the throne of grace, go boldly into the holies of holies, go boldly into the presence of Almighty God and ask him for grace to help in time of need. We don't have to have a priest anymore. Jesus is our high priest, and we get to go in there on his merit. And so when the veil rent from top to bottom, God was saying, hey, now the way is open. Friends, tonight, if you are a believer, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the privilege of prayer is, is, is indescribable. What God has opened up for us, the ability for you to go today, right now, Father, I sinned against you. I need your forgiveness. Father, I need your grace. He beckons us to come into the, on the holiest of holies. He wants us to dwell there. What does Psalm 90 say? He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Almighty. So dwell into the shadow of the Almighty. I think I've paraphrased that a little bit. But come, be here with me. So the veil is rent from top to bottom. And now there's instant and equal access through Jesus Christ, through the merit of Jesus Christ into the holy place. Hebrews 4 and verse number 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Let, let, us, let us stand strong 
in our belief. Don't waver in this. It's not that we're holding on to our salvation. I'm sure thankful I don't hold on to my salvation because I do a miserable job at it. But let us stand strong. And he goes on, verse 15, For we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, with our limitations, and so on, but was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Now, because of that, because he's our high priest, what should we do? Let us come, therefore, boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy to help and find help, or grace to help in time of need. You can come in. Welcome. Welcome. Listen. When Adam sinned in the garden, God's plan of redemption had already been designed. And he designed that one day, one day through the blood of his son, that we'd be able to once again fellowship with our creator. To walk in his presence in the cool of the day. And that does not have to wait till heaven. That's right now. That's right now. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful for the cross? Aren't you thankful for what Jesus went through? Because of Christ, you're welcomed into the very presence of the Creator. And I hope you've been there this week. I hope you're there now, in the presence of, of, of Almighty God. W what a thought. There's another point that I want to mention here before Jesus prays his final prayer. Jesus cries out in John 19 and verse number 30. He declares this, It is finished. It is is finished i believe this is what is said right before that veil is torn the gospels have different perspectives and on how that we we get to there but i want us to realize that this is the sixth of the seventh statement that is that jesus states from the cross he's he said multiple uh, multiple things but this is the sixth one that he states and and I want us to realize that this word, it is finished, is all one word. It's testelethi. It's unfamiliar to us. We don't go around saying that. But to them, it was a commonly used word. To the servant, it would have been like him reporting to his master, I've accomplished the task that you've given me. It's finished. It's finished. It'd be like the, the priest who examined a, an animal sacrifice and and approved that that, that, animal, um, that animal, that animal, that sheep or that goat was a, a perfect sacrifice and it was without blemish. It's, it's good. It's, it's finished. It's good. It would be like the artist completing a picture and saying, it's finished. Put it the final touch, the signature's on there. It's finished. But probably more significantly, more significantly to what Jesus said there, it was as a merchant who marks a bill paid in full. Paid in full. It, it's accomplished. Have you been into the mechanic and, and you pay, pay it and they, they stamp that bill, no matter how large it is, they stamp that bill, paid. Paid. That's exactly what Jesus was saying there in the sixth of the seven statements. It is paid in full. What's paid in full? I've come to atone for the sins of all mankind. I have satisfied holy God. I have, a, I have appeased him. I have become the propitiation, the appeasement for their sin. I have received all the wrath, and now I am declaring in this moment, before I give up the ghost, I am declaring in this moment that the sin payment, the sin debt of all mankind has been paid in full. 
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, as we say that, there are multitudes in our city that believe they need to continue to pay on a debt that it's already been paid. There are going to be people that will be in this building and many other buildings on Easter Sunday that believe they must continue to pay for something that has already been paid for. And only God himself, by the work of the Holy Spirit, can open up their eyes. And we ought to pray earnestly for everyone that has been listed here, and we will in a little bit, that God opens up their eyes to the subtle difference, to, the, to, the, to the, 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 what Satan has really blinded people about, that I pay for my sin, or it's already been paid for. We ought to pray. Oh God, would you open up their eyes. Aren't you thankful for the day that you realize it's been paid in full and I just must receive it now by faith? And listen, this is so amazing that he has done all of this for us. He went to the cross, he, he died my death, and now he's declaring, I have fully paid it. It's a complete sacrifice. It's paid in full. Paid in full. I won't have to pay on it. No collection agency is going to come along down the road and say, hey, there's part of this payment that wasn't made. It is paid in full. We have Jesus' word on it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Look at verse number 46. We see Christ's final prayer. It seems that Jesus said, it is finished, it's paid in full, and then the final prayer comes. Right on the heels of this declaration, I've finished my work. Almost sounds like the Apostle Paul. I've done what you've sent me to do. I've done what you sent me to do. My, my course is run. And so, who's this prayer to? Notice in verse number 46, and when Jesus cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, Father, Father. He called out. This word also carries this word cried has the idea of groaning. It says he called out with a loud voice. Loud voice. Was in the darkest hour of his life. And you know, he was able to cry out to the Father. I don't know about you, but that encourages me. My Lord could cry out in the darkest hour of his life. We can too. Psalm 23 and verse number 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Yes, God the Father turned out the lights of creation, turned out the sun, while all wrath was poured against him. But in this moment, the last statement from the Savior is Father. Father. This is the same word that is used other places in Scripture. Abba, Father. My dad, he prayed to him. Talk about relationship. And that's the relationship that, that Christ came to give to you and me, to provide for you and me. For we've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. You know our world is driven by fear? Everything is motivated by fear. We were having a conversation last night about how so many young mothers and how sales are pitched towards young mothers or marketing is pitched towards young mo mothers is all fear tactics or much fear tactics. You don't want your child to die, buy this or do this, buy this new bed. 
and, and it's just constant fear-mongering. Are you, are you weary of the world's fear-mongering? If you don't wear this, you're going to die. If you don't get this, you're going to die. I mean, it's just like, hey, just start watching for it. How much the world, or shall we say, the God of this world, uses fear to control us. We have not received the spirit of fear again under bondage. What have we received? But well, we've received the spirit of adoption. <laughs> we've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. You start hearing the God of this world tempt you to fear, buy into the fear, you just cry out to him. Why? Because I am with you. I am with you. Praise the Lord. And so he calls out to his father. He cries out to him with a loud voice. But what does his prayer demonstrate? It demonstrates for us his confidence in death. Why is that important? Well, sure, he's the son of God, but he was the God-man. He felt everything we would feel in that hour. And friends, he had confidence in his death. Do you have confidence as you go, uh, as you face death, as you think ahead? I don't know what the future holds. Do you have confidence that, that you can face death with peace and resting in your relationship that you have with the Father? We ask people, are you ready to die? Are you ready? Are you at peace? Well, Jesus was. He had confidence. He says here, Father, into thy hands I commit or commend my spirit. The idea, I entrust my spirit. I put it into your care. Or I, I, I give it over to your protection. I'm giving this over to you. Into your hands I commit my spirit. It says the same and in, in prophesied in, on Psalm 31, verse number 5. Into thy hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. And so, here it is that Jesus prays back to his father what some believe to be a Jewish bedtime prayer. Into your hands I commend my spirit. I trust you with my life. Friends, when you have Jesus Christ in your heart, you can say that to the father. My life is yours. Though my spirit will be separated from this earthly body, this physical body, my, my, my life, I commend my life, I commend my spirit into your hands. There it's in safekeeping. Satan has no power over it. Think about the trust, the confidence of this prayer that Jesus prays and that we ought to have as we face death when it comes our way. And frankly, the way that we ought to approach every single day that we live. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. I submit myself to you. I give myself over to you once and again. Christ did not face death with terror. He faced it with confidence. And because of Christ and what he won for us at the cross, we too can face death with the same exact confidence. John Huss, a preacher in the late 1300s into the 1400s, his life was, uh, was stopped short. When his enemies triumphantly uh, had won over his soul, they, they, had, they were going to kill him. He was uh, the one that was really responsible for the first English, uh, English uh, translation of the Bible. So here's a man that God had mightily used, and they came after him. The, uh, the church came after him, and they were, going to, they were going to put him to death. And he says this, as he is going to the, um, to the stake to be burned, but I commit my spirit into, the, into thy hand, O Lord Jesus Christ, who has redeemed it, who has redeemed it. Your hands. Imagine being burned alive. He said many other things as he's going there. Into your hands, I commend my spirit. We can have that same attitude. We're confident, I say, 
and willing, rather, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul says to the Corinthian believers, we die, our spirit separates from our body, just go to be with the Lord. He said it to the Philippian believers. He said, uh, Philippians 1 and verse number 20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is, remember, gain. For if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I choose, I want not. For I am in a strait betwixt two. I'm kind of in between a rock and a hard place. Okay, Paul, what's the rock and the hard place? Uh, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better, or to stay back here with you. Do you see what Paul had? He had a confidence in his heart. Why? Because Jesus is there. He knew his final places with him. And Christ said, into thy hands I commend my spirit. I'm going to be with you. I'm coming back. And so we ought to have that same confidence as Christ modeled for us at the cross in prayer. Does that not say something about our Lord and about how we ought to live our lives if Christ's very last words before giving up the ghost, before giving up his life, was a prayer, how important prayer truly is? What a privilege we have. Well, let's see just a few things quickly at the end of this passage. I want you to notice in verse 46, the end, how it says that he simply, and having thus said, he gave up the ghost. He gave up the ghost. He gave up his life. Christ's life was not taken. It was given. It was given. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Uh, he said uh, to a group, John 10 and eight, uh, t 18, uh, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. This commandment have I received of my Father. I am able to lay it down. I'm able to take it up, and that's what Satan did not realize. He was dealing with Almighty God, the Creator God. You can't kill the Creator. The Creator willingly Creator willingly died. That is amazing. That is amazing. The, the Creator willingly took on our penalty, the penalty that God said, if in the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. The Creator willingly took on the penalty so that we might be set free. What a God. So Jesus willingly died our death. He asked us to willingly give ourselves a living sacrifice, Romans 12, 1. Uh, I, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. He didn't ask us to go to the cross. He wants us to take up our cross, to be willing to sacrifice. But he says, I just want you to give yourself. Give yourself back to me like I gave myself for you completely. But I want you to notice in verse 47, not only was there this death voluntary, but I want you to notice that this death his death was convincing because in verse number 47, we find that the centurion that was standing guard there looked on the death of Jesus Christ and he was convinced that how, what Jesus had said, how he had suffered, how he had died, he was convinced that this was a righteous man. 
Now think about this. This man had seen a lot of deaths. He's a soldier. It was a part of being stationed there at Calvary, dealing with these things. I don't know how many, how many times he had seen on this, this time around at Calvary. But he had seen a lot of deaths there. And you think about this, the crucifixion was reserved for the worst of criminals. Men that were God-hating, men that were calloused, yet in their death, every man, every, every lost person in their death becomes real sober and very fearful because they don't know what's beyond. The terror of death a fearful thing. He had seen probably many that had not responded well. That didn't even have the presence of mind to pray or be kind or say wonderful things to his mother. Oh, he's on the cross. John, I need you to take care of my mom. Wow. This is a different, this is a different criminal. And by the time Jesus had died, that Roman soldier was convinced this guy wasn't a criminal, he was righteous. I think the application for us is how we die as Christians can send an as convincing message for Jesus Christ as how we live. Friends, we don't have to die with fear. We don't have to worry about that. People are so worried about holding on to their life. I was in the health food store the other day and just kind of went in the back of my mind. This lady was buying up a bunch of stuff and, 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 and I realized, you know, we're all seek after health and we ought to take care of our bodies, but she did not look healthy. And I, and I thought, and this goes back many years, there's sometimes people that are preoccupied with health seem to be the sickest. You ever notice that? Like they're preoccupied with it. They're, they always have this thing they're recommending, and, you know, new drink, new vitamins, new, you know, whatever. Uh, I'm not saying that. You know, that's pretty broad brush. Forgive me if that bothers you. But I, I, just, I was just thinking, you know, we try to hold on to our life so much. You know what's amazing here? When, when I don't fear death, and when the other side is, is much more glorious than this life, I can die with complete confidence. When I know my, my, my soul is settled in the hands of all, my almighty creator, I can, I can die with confidence. And that's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death, now catch this, the sting, the pain, the terror of death is sin. The reason death is painful is because of sin. For the wages of sin is death. Revelation 20:14. And all, all uh, hell and uh, and 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 I'm I'm going to have to paraphrase here. But they were cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. So the pain of death, the terror of death, is is sin, and the strength of sin is the law that that shows our sin, that declares our sin. 
but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He took the, the sting of death. He, he took my sin at the cross, and he took the sting out of death. There is no more sting in death for the believer. There's none. Now, it's not that we don't, no one is uh, weird in the sense that, oh, I just want to feel what death feels like. No, we're not talking about that, but there's no, there's no grimace in it. There's, there's no loss in it, because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He already took the stinger out. He already took the sin away. And so when we die, it's not into the lake of fire, it's into the presence of our Creator who begs me to constantly come into his presence. So let's just pull back here for a moment. At every juncture in Jesus' life, as we've studied over the past six, eight weeks, we find Jesus going to prayer. And his very last prayer, his very last words before he died, he went to prayer. And may that just encourage us to elevate prayer and communion with our Father to the level that Jesus elevated it to. I need him. I need him in the darkest hours. I need him for the decisions I'm going to make tomorrow. I need him. I need him, just like Jesus did. During the crucifixion, Jesus heard the prayer of a sinner, one of the thieves, and he answered that prayer. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. This day you're going to be with me in paradise. This day you're going to be with me in the presence of my Father. But his final words was a prayer of rest and a prayer of confidence, trust in his Father. And may that be our heart. Even tonight, Lord, I pray that my, even as I know that one day I'll, I'll, I'll pass through death's door, I pray that I die in such a way that the peace and the confidence I have in my heart, my eyes, my words would convince those around me, this is a righteous person. This is a person that's been justified by Almighty God. And uh, what a Savior we have. What a Savior. He prayed at his death. And I hope that you can take that with you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we all need to grow in this matter of communion with you. Uh, we, we so under, underserve ourselves and so underestimate the, the power, uh, the privilege, and our desperate need to seek you in prayer. I pray that you continue to help us on the journey. Lord, I need, I need that help. I feel like such a novice when it comes to uh, spending time with you and growing in you. But Lord, I pray that you would continue to help myself and us as a, as a church, that we would just grow forward, that we take another cue from our lovely Savior who prayed even at his death. So help us, Lord. And I do pray that in each one of our lives, that even in our deaths, whenever you would allow those, that, that the way that we end our lives, come to the end of our lives, would be a powerful testimony like your life was there at the cross, that we are a child of God and that truly you did take the sting out of death. We love you tonight and we love what you've done for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you just bow there tonight? Lord, if your final words were a prayer like this, Lord, I pray that you would help me to continue to grow in prayer and to value it. Lord, help me not to set it aside. Help me to have that same rest and assurance in coming to you as my Heavenly Father.
Father, the world hangs on to this life because this is all they have. Lord, you told us to be good stewards of this life that you've given to us, but we don't have to hang on to it like it's all that we have. We have so much more with you. So I pray that we'd be like our lovely Savior, even as he came to the end of his life, that we'd be like him, constantly talking to you with hearts that full of trust and confidence that our soul, our spirit is safe with you. We love you tonight. Thank you for being our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what I'd like to do tonight. Um, we're going to gather together and pray, but we'll do it a little bit different tonight. Um,